Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall, and it's our annual end-of-the-year wrap-up with writers from around the globe who cover the beer industry. In a moment, you'll hear from Carla Lauder, Matt Kierkegaard, Christopher Shepard, and Melissa Cole. And we're going to get into it all in just a moment. But first, All About Beer is back online and producing original content for beer enthusiasts and professionals. Go visit allaboutbeer.com to see the latest. And if you want to support us in that endeavor, we've set up a Patreon for both readers and professional companies in the beer space. Check out patreon.com slash allaboutbeer to learn more. For additional audio content, you can search All About Beer on your podcast platform of choice and listen to the shows that are now available, including Beer Travelers, the All About Beer podcast, and Brewer to Brewer. If you are a fan of smoked beer, and well, you should be, why not check out the This Week in Rauk Beer group? You can find it on Facebook pretty easily by just typing This Week in Rauk Beer into the search bar, and on Twitter and Instagram, we're at Beer. We're able to bring you the show each week, thanks to the companies that support independent journalism in the beer space. You can learn more about our surprisingly affordable rates by emailing info at allaboutbeer.com. Speaking of that, this episode is brought to you by Pro Brewer. We are bringing original articles to probrewer.com twice a week, covering issues that are important to the beer industry and aimed at helping breweries of all sizes understand different facets of the business. You can check out our articles on probrewer.com every Tuesday and Thursday and go visit the site daily for other original content and to stay connected with the beer industry. So I enjoy doing every show, but this is one that I've come to look forward to every year. It's our year-end roundup where we'll talk about what's happened over the last 12 months, get together as friends and colleagues to be joyful and kind and collegial. And on the panel this year, joining us once again is Carla Lauder. She is a freelance beer writer covering the industry since debuting her original blog, The Beer Babe, back in 2007. And since then, she's published in national beer journals, worked as a regular columnist for Maine Today, The Press Herald, and The Bollard, uh, all out of Portland, Maine. And you can find her current writing in Beer and Weed Magazine, a monthly publication spotlighting beer and the cannabis industry in Maine and beyond. And throughout her beer writing career, Carla has also been a vocal advocate for diversity, equity, and inclusion in the craft beer space. Matt Kierkegaard is the founder and publisher of Brews News, Australia's leading brewing industry news and analyst source, and he also hosts the Radio Brews News podcast. Christopher Shepard, who you'll likely hear referred to as Chip for the rest of this show, uh, is a senior editor of Craft Brew News and the editor of Alcohol Issues Insights. Christopher is BMI's resident home brewer and beer geek. He's a talented actor and theater director. He graduated from Muhlenberg College with a degree in theater, dance, and English. I am parched. I'm just going to have some Sierra celebration. Man, that's so good. Pardon me. Our final guest is Melissa Cole. She is a journalist. She's the author of five books, including her latest, The Ultimate Book of Craft Beer. She is also an international judge and my friend who has always been nothing but kind and encouraging. (laughs) You can take it out of the chat, Melissa. Fuck you, Hole. Fuck you in the eye. I'm glad we got off to a real, real good start with the politeness. So two years ago, I think it was, or maybe it was three at this point, 
Uh, Shep and I did this show with Melissa and we were drinking Sierra celebration during it. And poor Melissa could not get any Sierra celebration in London that year. Is that, is that pretty accurate? And you were just devastated by this. I was, I was devastated. And the same thing has happened to me this year. I literally seven hours after the release on the Europe website, it was sold out. And I was, I was actually out at the, um, British Guild of Beer Writers um, Awards that evening, and and which I thought, you know, great, can't get it again. And even even then, and I will say, John, I was very very grateful for the beautiful present of a <laughs> bottle of celebration that you bought for me. And I thought I was very touched oh, when you yeah. gave that to me in Minneapolis. And I nearly um, I committed, I nearly committed. I don't know, is it spouse aside? when for possibly the only time i think it's still i think it's still homicide no matter what but yeah yeah i gotta go with spouse aside um the only um uh uh, time that i can remember in in a number of years that my husband actually dropped a bottle of beer and guess which one it was (laughs) oh that makes me really sad for you, Melissa. Um, not sad, not sad enough to send you any celebration, of course. Well, um, that's reasonable. And it, I mean, it should. You know, nobody can send anything to this bloody aisle anyway. So <laughs> get it. We'll, I'll pay seventy-four million pounds in 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 imports. Well, hmm. that's so. That's the thing, right? I waited to see you in Minneapolis at the Craft Brewers Conference earlier this year, which is the first time that we were in the same place together since COVID began. And after after you were on the show in 2020, I went out and I bought a 12 pack of bottles of celebration and I'm looking at it still the 2020 version in my fridge right now uh, as we're sitting uh, organizing this and I pulled that bottle out of it and I had every intention and I probably still do of seeing you for the next couple of years and just bringing you a bottle of this as it slowly turns into an American barley wine. I love you very much. Next time I'm actually going to drink it whilst I'm with you because clearly nobody else in this household can be trusted. (laughs) So, Matt, I want to go down to you because, as always, you are the MVP of this show. It is 2 a.m. right now as we're recording this in Brisbane. Um, Sierra Nevada Celebration here in the U.S. has this cult-like following every year. Uh, No matter where you are in a beer-drinking journey, I think it is the only seasonal that gets drinkers uniformly excited. You know, brewers, home brewers, uh, casual drinkers. It, it's the marketing is great behind it, but the beer just tastes great and it's fun to drink. Is there anything in Australia that is a seasonal release that sort of captures that same universal belovedness? No. There's actually not. Um, it's and, and I guess Southern Hemisphere, we're just coming into summer, so it's you know thirty degree Celsius days, um, and everyone's wearing board shorts and uh, singlets. Um, so I, I guess the traditional celebration hours tend to be a little bit bigger um, in, in the Northern Hemisphere where it's cold. Uh, and there just doesn't seem to be any one thing that stands out in that way. I'm actually just uh, quickly having a look at some of the online retailers to see even if Celebration Ale is available here. We'll probably get it in March or April, just in time for Easter. It 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 holds up remarkably well. Um, had uh, had had Melissa's husband not dropped the bottle, 
uh, it would have been super fresh. And I just realized that this this can that I that I pulled out of my fridge is actually from last year. This is a 21 uh, version, and it's it's still drinking really, really, really well. Um, Melissa, same question to you though. Is there is there something over in the UK that has the same level of belovedness seasonality? Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, for sure. I mean, the the ones that that definitely um, I think a lot of people look forward to is Fuller's Vintage. Obviously, um, no big surprise there. That getting released every year is is uh, is um, is cause for celebration. Um, and also, very excitingly, this year, um, although because I'm at the very end of a of a flipping car, at least it's not COVID this year, but I'm at the end of a cold and a chest infection. I thought I'd leave it. Um, is that um, uh, down at Dark Star, which has sadly just been announced as as uh, going to be closed down and moving the production of it up to meantime in London by Asahi. Um, Henry, um, who's a tremendously talented and very dedicated brewer to the um, traditional styles, he actually brewed Gale's Prize Old Ale as Dark Star Prize Old Ale, um, which was Gale's was a brand that Fuller's acquired God, probably 10, 12 years ago now, I'm guessing at least. Um, and uh, the brewery was wildly infected, um, but it did produce this fantastic mixed fermentation beer, I think somewhat by accident, um, every every year. Um, and again, that's one of the things that just keeps on getting better and better. It's absolute delight. But also um, J.W. Lee's um, Harvest Ale is another one that's oh, yeah. fantastic. So, Speaking yeah, of barley wines. Yeah. Pretty widely, but I think most of that's actually shipped to the States. Yeah, we we're really lucky uh, to see as much of it as we do uh, at, at at the beer stores, and um, a lot of places will actually build verticals, uh, which mm. is which is also kind of nice as well. Uh, Carly, you've been uh, quiet this whole time. Um, the <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, when I think of Maine, I mean, there's obviously a couple of national brands that 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 stand out, but I always enjoy going up there because it is kind of insular. Um, it's in a lot of ways like Oregon, um, uh, the other Portland, where if you want to drink really good beer, you have to go there for it. Uh, is there, are there seasonals that are really main only releases that we should all be pointing our cars north to, to drive towards? I don't know, because I mean, celebration is a big thing up here. Like it, it's on tap of the Great Lost Bear. It is where all the brewers get very excited about going and getting. Um, we have, I think it's because we have just kind of a big variety of stuff. There's a good, there's a great Bissell beer that is a, um, is a really good imperial stout called Angels Have Filthy Souls. It's a reference to the uh, movie that they have in the middle of Home Alone uh, with the gangsters in it that uh, that uh, Macaulay could. Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh and uh it's Is that the name delicious. of the movie? No, uh yeah, that was supposed to be the name the title of the movie that he puts in the VCR is Angels with Filthy Souls or Angels Have Filthy Souls. I had no idea. Yeah. Um, and that one, uh, you know, they only release around Christmas time. It, it's absolutely delicious, and that one holds up as well. Um, and then Oxbow also does a different kind of Christmas beer every year. So that's an annual thing that you kind of have to go check and see what it is and go get a bottle of it and bring it home. And that used to be something that I would bring to Christmas dinner every year. So I would go all the way up to the brewery back before there was one in Portland, go up to the mid coast, like, you know, traipse through the snowy countryside, coastal Maine to go get a bottle of or a growler of 
uh, and bring that back. But we have such a proliferation of these breweries now that everybody does it seasonal. You know, it's not a universal thing, I would say, as much as it used to be. Uh, but we still hit the celebration hard here. <laughs> we actually, on, on our beer, you know, Facebook groups, we actually tell each other where we first see it at the stores. Like, oh, oh, it's a, it's an RSVP. Oh, go get it. <laughs> like, so it's, uh, it's kind of a little thing here. Uh, Melissa's going to want to know the name of all of those groups. Um, yes. <laughs> Hop Degenerates is the one you should be in. <laughs> that, that sounds about right. <laughs> I found my, I found my, my minus the word hops, but yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah. Chef, I know you follow a, a lot of the trends and it, it just sort of occurred to me, aside from Sierra celebration, I don't know if you have numbers on this, but are seasonal still running the beer game like they used to? Oh, what a great question. Um, generally speaking, no. Um, sort of broadly speaking, seasonals don't have the power uh, that they once did. But the, sort of the, the time that they did, I mean, we're like almost a decade past um, really the, the strength and the, the heyday. Uh, IPAs took over and haven't haven't budged or given an inch since. Um, again, broadly speaking, in the syndicated uh, off-premise retail scan data that we talk about here in the business all all the dang time. Um, uh, that said, um, different different seasonals across the year sort of have have some real pop to them. Um, and if you look at seasonal sales as if you just sort of think of seasonals as a style, quote unquote, um, the way that that data does, uh, the, the certain brands have a lot of power. So, I mean, in the summer, for instance, in this data, Line in Google Summer Shandy is in that seasonal data and is very, very large during the summer months, which have now stretched across like eight or nine months of the year. It actually, I think, is going um, year round at this point. Um, uh, but then Wait, they're going to make their summer, summer beer year round. Summer Shandy is, 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 is they, <laughs> I mean, it's you can usually find it year round anyway, um, but I think they've just sort of given in and said, "Okay, we're, we're just going to actively sell this year round." I I think that's true. I hope I'm not lying to you. I if you can get it year round, it's better to have fresh stuff year exactly. round than exactly. just be, be finding it year round. That's scary. Precisely, precisely. <laughs> um, but I mean, Sam Adams seasonal. The strongest one is still Oktoberfest. I mean, all of a sudden. If they it sells, you know, in a given four week period, like come September, the the Sam seasonal trends are it's like two to three times bigger. Like when September hits, it like just jumps in terms of size. Um, one of the biggest ones uh, back towards sort of the Christmas season and, and winter seasonal, it, Great Lakes Christmas Ale is still monstrous for them. I mean, it becomes. Uh, a sort of during during the winter months, it becomes a top thirty craft brand uh, most years nationally, even though it's only available in like eight to ten states around the Midwest, um, just because it sells so dang much uh, for for like eight eight weeks of the year, twelve weeks of the year tops. Um, so you know there there are there are little things, and but people have walked away from seasonals. A lot of small breweries have sort of recognize that, you know, it, it doesn't make sense or it's uh, hard to manage down the supply chain, or if they, or if they do it, they do it in a more limited way. Um, it's more of a specialty release than this sort of rotating four seasonals a year that don't really align with the calendar and, and more just align with financial quarters. 
That's really yeah. interesting because here it's still very much a thing. And I think it's such an ingrained part of the drinking culture over here that, that it is just so very much still a thing. Like um, all seasonals or just Christmas? No, all seasonals. Um, there's not there's not necessarily sort of the the big ones that come and they kind of are this but it's very much also a lot of it's um still in the hands of um traditional brewers so um for example you can you can almost set your calendar that it's that it's coming up to autumn by Chevenim um releasing red fox um uh so and fuller's releasing their varying seasonals um so those guys really very much do adhere to that uh, and it is something that particularly cask drinkers seem to really appreciate because actually cask is a, a, a delivery of, of beer styles where actually you really do want to drink seasonally. So yeah. very light, very light ABV, very light bodies, blonde ales, um, you know, sort of very, very low ABV pale ales, whether they be NZ hopped or US hopped or whatever. Um, they're great in summer because you just don't want them hanging around too long because they just warm up in your hand. Um, but also, as you as you as the seasons change, it really does feel that that actually drinking seasonally is very very much a UK attitude. You know, and and I I listen to you say that, and I am reminded of one of my local breweries, which is one of the larger local breweries, but they have a seasonal lager program where they make a lager every you know three or four months that is made entirely with New York grown ingredients that are relatively seasonal in nature. And there's a fabulous black lager that they just uh, released a, a week or two ago that um, I will be drinking a lot of over the next couple of months. So I can I can always find an exception for what I'm saying. And I, I think my comments really are about large distributed craft, right? Like relatively large craft brewers that are mm. selling a bunch of beer in a, in a bunch of markets. Um, but there, there are hundreds, probably thousands of small, much smaller breweries that um, making seasonal beer is still pretty important too, uh, as be being able to come up, come up with a counter example so quickly to myself, um, suggests that there's lots and lots and lots more. <laughs> no, I, I completely take on board what you're saying is that also they're the ones that you've got data for, right? Because exactly. you, haven't got, you haven't got data for the mom and pop little breweries who are only, who are only selling out their tap rooms and stuff like that, you know, but it's, it is, it, it is notable over mm. here that there are. Uh, seasonal releases that really tap into that desire for, you know, sort of it's winter, it's cold, you want something dark or you want something slightly spiced or you want, you know, you want, you want a Christmas ale or you want a spring ale or something like that. And and it just, it really sort of feeds into that. Well, it, so there are distinct flavors to Christmas ales and, and, and a lot of the spices that we think is, you know, traditional of the season, but Matt down by you, where it's warm and everybody's wearing shorts um is there is there a venn diagram between summer drinking and i guess northern hemisphere christmas ideas do, do, do they meet at all yeah look it, it it it's funny um i i think there is some tradition and there is some convention you know the winter beers are dark beers and australia is a big country so melbourne has a very different uh winter than Brisbane does, um, where I'm based. 
And so you do start to see some dark beers come out. But at the same time, we also have roast turkey and bake, baked ham in, on, on Christmas when it's 35 degrees. And then some people <laughs> celebrate with seafood, you know, uh, uh, prawns and uh, that, that sort of thing and oysters. So it, it's, there's no um, hard and fast thing. I guess it's not really, we don't really seem to have a seasonal beer. Um, uh, and a, a little bit, as Chris was saying before, the breweries that have done it, you still see them on the shelves way after, which, which wasn't a good look. But the thing that has really exploded here over the last three or four years um, is the beer advent calendar. And I'm wondering if that's a trend anywhere else where the month, you know, 24 days or 25 days before Christmas, you get this box of 25 special one-off beers where some of the retailers have put together um, dedicated packs of only one-off beers that you can only get in this particular pack. And it's a huge driver for them. And, you know, uh, we're, we're seeing um, some of the retailers, you know, selling 4,800 of these, which is a significant amount wow. of our smaller retailers um, and, and basically taking a full batch of beer from, from breweries. And that's the closest thing that we've got. And they're uh, quite a significant thing down here to the point that you have fights on social media where some people, you know, try to say no spoiler alerts, don't post until you know six o'clock when everyone has a chance to open their, you know, their, their pack and see what it is because it's a very much a, um, yeah, just a, a a surprise and a, a huge Christmas tradition. Carla, what do you are you seeing the advent calendars? Um, no, but I think I know why we're not seeing them as much. And that has a lot to do with our beer mailing laws, our distro across state lines laws. Yep. Like it makes it really, really tough to get beer from a brewery to a consumer via, um, you know, some kind of a post. We have like beer of the month type situations where, you know, some, you know, larger breweries can set up distribution agreements, um, you know, that, that, you know, fall on the correct side of the law, but it's incredibly difficult. I think it would be amazing, um, for example, if the main brewers guild was somehow able to put together an advent calendar of beer from 24 different main breweries, I would love that. But the logistics of actually putting that together and getting that out and crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's legally is just so, it almost feels insurmountable just in the patchwork of everything that you have to, you know, everybody you have to keep happy. But I, I, I watch a lot of like UK, um, you know, UK cooking and UK uh, drinking, um, you know, YouTube channels. And a lot of them are unboxing these wonderful advent calendars for wine, for beer, for cider. Um, and I just, I'm very jealous, but I think it has to do with our cruddy relationship with <laughs> alcohol laws um, especially when it comes to shipping, um, people are just somehow afraid we're going to ship them to babies and get them drunk or something. I don't know. I don't yeah, know yeah, how we get over that, but it's a bit of a problem. Got a lot of breweries that are doing it individually. It's not, um, and some, um, some, uh, online beer clubs, uh, and things like, like subscription services, uh, that, that put together these advent calendars, but it's mostly coming from, it's mostly being driven by breweries themselves, but of course they can, they can ship all over the UK with impunity. So um, it, it's not, that's not a problem for them. So you do get um, lots and lots of breweries releasing, releasing these advent calendar boxes. Some of them, 
contain I sometimes it's a barrel aged version of a of a of a normal release or it's a it's a version of their of their sort of standard pale ale but they've mixed up the hops or something like that and then sometimes it is something that's completely a unique one off that they'll release first to their to their advent calendar customers and then it will get released say so the rest of it will get released mid mid December or something like that or sometimes into the new year some of the ones that I've had here in the U.S., if if a small shop puts them together or has worked with specific breweries for specific beers, those are the ones that I think are fun to seek out because you're getting fresh beer. Uh, mm. But I've also seen some stores put it together where it's, hey, we have a, a glut of inventory of already out of code beer. Let's you know, <laughs> put a uh, put some nice wrapping paper on it and sell it at a premium. Um or the the flip side is Costco, one of our big big box uh, uh, retail stores, where they, for a couple of years, were bringing in a, a German advent calendar, German lager advent calendar, and it was showing up on the shelves in like August, which means that the <laughs> beer was probably brewed sometime in January, uh, if not the year before. Um, and I, I went through one of those a couple of years ago and was largely disappointed by how everything is starting to starting to scale out a little bit yeah hard pass yeah um speaking of being disappointed these days uh i saw uh, melissa pete brown put up a post uh earlier this week um uh, saying that breweries are closing in the uk on an average of one a day right now uh and then you mentioned um uh the brewery that's closing that's going to meantime uh dark star yeah um so it's it's obviously happening and it, and it's it's breweries that people know it's breweries that people care about mm-hmm. um what's the what's the overall outlook on where things stand beer closure wise in the uk right now um pretty awful i think we've seen i'm i'm actually just looking at uh, uh steve at beer nouveau who has fortunately managed to sell on his uh, brewery as a going concern. Uh, but um, I think he's keeping a list and I think we're looking at it now. I've, there's, I've seen that since I just last looked at it on Friday, two more have been added. So I think that brings us up to damn near 80 um, that have gone. In, since the beginning of the year? Since the beginning of the year. Um, and, it's, and it's rapidly, rapidly accelerated towards the end of the year. Um, and there's some real kind of like shock ones in there as well. Um, and uh, in some of them are as a result of the fact that they're a bit like uh, Dark Star that I was referencing earlier. Um, they're closing, but they're not disappearing as brands. Um, I think one of the ones that's a real terrible shame, but again, it, it's sort of understandable in terms of the outlook of the global brewer who's looking at the efficiencies and trying to hit their carbon neutral targets and all those sorts of things is Caledonian. Um, Cause it was the last coal fired, sorry, wood fired um, uh, mash tun in the country at oh. Cali in, in Edinburgh. So that's a real shame that that's going. Um, and um, there's also um, some of the, what you'd consider um, I think the biggest shock in terms of of modern classics was Wild Beer Co. Um, there's been some people raising some question marks over the running of that, but 
Um, I don't know enough to comment, uh, but there's been some pretty pretty heavy speculation about that. Um, but that was a real that was a real oh dear, because they've been they sort of really did bring a lot of homegrown mixed ferment beers to the to the UK population who unless they were Belgian beer drinks in the first place wouldn't necessarily have tried them before. Huh. So that was a real, they also brewed fresh beers as well. Um, and they were celebrating their 10th birthday this year. And just after they celebrated that, they went under. There's some, another one that's been closed by um, a bigger brewing company is Jennings, which is really sad because that's uh, 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 in the lakes and it's part of the, the real you go to the lake district and you drink jennings it's just you know it's it's just what you do kind of thing so it's it's one of those one of the things i mean one of the happy stories though is kelham island which is which was sort of my second epiphany beer um has uh has been it's been bought out of of um of well, it's been bought out by um a few people um and some and the folks from thornbridge as well so that's great because Dave Wickett, God rest his soul, was a real pioneer um, in the UK beer market and doesn't really get mentioned enough, to be honest. Um, he was one of the very first people to be brewing with modern uh, American style hops and huh. really sort of just like properly eye-opening him. And Sean Franklin, when he owns Brewsters, um, which is now owned by the Fozard boys, um that actually they those two breweries because actually Dave and Sean were good, so Dave and Sean were really good pals and they weren't very far apart either so those those two um were really fundamental in bringing in um, modern US hops so it's good to see that resurrected at least yeah Matt what what's the scene by you are breweries closing are they opening staying the same um we're still seeing a lot opening. Uh, I, I think we've tracked about 30 or 40 this year, not too many closures. Um, I, I get the feeling that no one's doing terribly well. Uh, also, very few uh, are doing terribly well. You're not seeing a lot of growth. Um, a, a number are for sale quietly. Uh, no one's really putting themselves uh, too much out there as, as being for sale. But one of the things that we've had down here is a huge rise in equity crowdfunding. Um, and it, it, it's one of the trends that's really troubled me, not because equity crowdfunding is inherently bad, but I just get the feeling that equity crowdfunding is being used to prop up or you know, a cash injection. It, it's normally being touted as an investment but I, I don't, it just seems to be free money, um, which then has an impact on everybody else that doesn't have that free money. Um, yeah. And Melissa, I saw that Wild, there was a, a story that came through that that was one of the criticisms of Wild is that they'd raised some money um, and, and hadn't really ever reported back to the owners or anything like that. And that's one of the challenges that we're seeing here. Um, there are some great businesses that are, crowdfunding that way but even the ones that are, uh, are raising on in selling it as an investment on multiples that no brewery of their size is ever going to sell for um and and i'll worry what that means longer term for the industry yeah i think i think certainly from if if i take one thing away from exactly that which we probably had uh, we still got people crowdfunding 
but the big swathe was probably between three and five years ago. Um, if there's one thing I'd take away from that and 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 uh, counsel people who are thinking about it is that if you're going to invest in crowdfunding in a brewery, no matter how the scheme is put to you, don't expect to walk away a millionaire. Um, or I, even- I, I would say don't even expect to walk back. You know, with anything vaguely, you're yeah. giving the money essentially, and you might get your you know dividend in the form of a five percent discount on their online shop. Yeah, I was about uh, to say, expect a yeah. discount off of your beer, but if you get anything else, it genuinely is a bonus. Shep, I don't know if anybody is keeping a, a public record in the same way that there's uh, over in the UK, there's there's an online resource of who's closing uh, daily, but certainly I'm getting text messages every day of new places going under, and a lot of them are have been fairly small. I don't think that there's been anything too, too earth-shattering in the last uh, couple of weeks. Maybe the Rare Barrel, um, which had been quietly for sale uh, for, for some time. But I also am aware of some of those as well, of those you know folks who aren't necessarily uh, putting it out there saying, you know, hey, we're going to get ready to close down, but people are putting feelers out and trying to find um, new buyers. I know last week the Brewers Association put out some numbers on what this year looks like. And honestly, I haven't even had a chance to dive into them yet, but I imagine you have. What's the what's it looking like in the US as we close out this year? Yeah, that that Brewers Association tally is is probably the best one we have. There's they're paying closer attention than anybody else because it's their members. Sure. Uh, and so basically they they put it at 500, over 550 openings and over 200 closings this year. Um, everyone so is at this. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that we know about, right? And right. The thing that, that Bart Watson, their economist, always says about the closing numbers is, you know, that number grows over time because closings are a lot harder to find than openings. Um you know, sometimes they get an article in the press. Sometimes there's a sort of public statement on social media. Sometimes there's not. Yeah. Uh, and so it, it can be a little bit difficult to, to pinpoint that. But everyone is fairly surprised that that number isn't even higher, even though that is a higher number than it's been for for some time. There, there was a bit of a spike in 2020 for obvious reasons, um, but it, it, it hasn't even sort of reached that level again, he showed. Um, yeah. That said... Um, something that we've reported on is that, you know, when breweries close, um, a lot of times those locations still remain breweries. We, we've been watching a lot of the sort of one out, one in kind of action, especially in markets that are um, pretty favorable for breweries, right? Where there are a lot of them, you know, spots in the Pacific Northwest and and in the uh, front range of, in Colorado and Southern California and uh, at some other markets, right? A brewery closes and somebody else is still excited about opening a brewery and so opens their own in, in that location. Um, but yeah, there there is more discussion and I think everybody recognizes that the cost pressures of that have ramped up over the last couple of years uh, are pretty hard. Uh, margins are super duper under pressure and sort of expecting another flood is too strong of a word um but that there are going to be folks who are going to just sort of call it um at a certain point who are, who are just not really keeping their head above water yeah um, and and that's you know it, it's hard to speak about that rationally because it's always sad because you, you recognize that like these are humans and this is this, these are people who have put their life savings and, and years and years and years if not decades of, of work um that that are going to have to sort of do something else um, 
but rationally speaking, it just sort of makes sense. It, it's where we are economically uh, at this point. Um, you know, think about how many small restaurants have closed over the last couple of years. You know, small hospitality businesses without the support of, of a major funder are in a very difficult spot. You know, we have we've lost tens of thousands of independent restaurants uh, and and um, uh, off-premise retailers, right? That just, just sort of shops um, in the in the U.S. in the last couple of years, while chains have been pretty steady and have actually opened new locations in, in aggregate uh, over the last couple of years. And so that that tells a pretty clear picture um, or paints a pretty clear picture of, of what's going on. And I think it's this the same is true for breweries. Yeah. Dispensaries are a whole other story, though. <laughs> <laughs> Good God. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about it, Carla. So uh, I do write for Beer and Weed magazine, as, as John mentioned. Um, which, but by I, the like, way, I mean, I, I love the name of that because it's just yeah. it's everything you need beer to know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but I specifically only write about beer because I, I literally don't know anything about the cannabis industry. It's not something I partake in. But uh, but uh, every town in Maine, in an attempt to stimulate small business, as soon as we got uh, recreational legal, we now have every small town in Maine. And I'm talking like my town has 9000 people and it has six dispensaries like we don't need six dispensaries per 9,000 people at all. It's weird. And there's going to be a boom and a bust and a bubble and a whatever. There's all, everybody's talking about consolidation, but they are everywhere because they can move into, uh, you know, a, a dead storefront, you know, in about three weeks, as opposed to a brewery that has to, you know, put drains in the floor and get new concrete and do all this stuff. So they've become the new, uh, hey, there's a vacant strip mall. Let me throw a business in there. Um, and I, it's, it's a straight, it is strangely changed, uh, the landscape of Maine. It, it like almost within two years, like it's, it's very weird. It's very, very weird, <laughs> but they, you know, but they, they're going to have their own reckoning too, though. Cause obviously that's not a, a quantity that can be supported at that level. Um, but I think, um, to what uh, you guys were saying a minute ago about small breweries, though, I, I think a big part of this is that with the, uh, with the addition of all of the, uh, you know, the supply chain costs and inflation and, you know, you know, raw ingredient prices and stuff, they just can't absorb that, uh, to the same way that a chain or a bigger brewery can. And I, and I think those, those are going to linger for a long time. I see a lot of breweries that are just, packaging and whatever they can get so they're moving from a 12 ounce can to a 16 ounce can the next week to bottles to whatever they can get their hands on because they don't have aluminum contracts like there's a lot of there's a lot of scrambling going on right now uh and it's going to be an interesting couple quarters and when i say interesting I don't, i'm not meaning good yeah um, i mean we um, and without without wishing to pay um some sort of uh, misery top trumps we've got yeah. So many problems here, it's ridiculous. I mean, just a couple of things to sort of pick out is uh, our GT GDP in Q3 was of this year was 0.4% lower, which comparative to the Eurozone, for example, which was 2.2% higher than pre-pandemic level, whereas US GDP was 4.3% higher. Um, so, you know, that that's for a start. We've got a huge cost of living crisis. Uh, prices of goods and services have risen by at least 9.9%, and that's just what was in August, and we know that they've gone up since. Uh, we've got the highest rate of electricity costs in Europe 
um, basically we just seem to be funding France. Um, and it, it just, it, it, and, and so, so much more. We've got strikes everywhere at the moment, whether it's our postal service, our rail service, um, our nurses are out on strike for the first time in their history. Um, it's, and, and there's a whole bunch more as well. And it's just, I think they said that the, the cost of the cost of a Christmas meal, for example, is, is going to go up by, it's going to go up by about something like 20% this year. I mean, all of this, plus, as you were mentioning, Carla, the cost of raw ingredients, um, cardboard shortages, aluminium shortages, CO2 shortages, um, all of these things are just massive, massive problems. And so many of these were flagged to the government as well. And, for example, one of the things that the government's done is, is shut down um, CO2 production plants in the UK. So... Yeah, and, and when you take into account the fact that, uh, for example, the, the pandemic switched off an awful lot of the fertiliser farms because of the, you know, the, basically they didn't have people to operate them, which is one of the largest producers of CO2 for the food and drink industry. If you add all of this together, it, it's just, and so, so much more, and people have just not got money to buy beer or go to the pub. So are they buying weed instead? We can't buy, well, well, possibly, but not through legal places, but where, where you can actually at least get the tax money, which drives me bananas. Legal, legalize that, legalize prostitution, huge income stream. Anyway, um, Matt, can 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 you buy legal weed in Australia? No, oh. no. But uh, actually, John, one of the most uh, interesting moments that I had was at CBC this year when you did the alcohol free panel um and uh, I, I sat in on that and hearing uh keith villa talk a little bit about his business and what was driving um the infused alcohol-free uh, beer space and i came back and really looked at what was going on in australia because there isn't uh legalized weed but we do have limited medicinal cannabis but the prescription rate of that has just escalated over the last year or two. And it's almost as if the government doesn't want to touch that topic and be criticised for legalising it, but they've given doctors the ability to do it and they're almost legalising it by stealth. And so we have, it has been much easier to get. And to, to Melissa's point, I, I, I think with governments looking so hard at altern, alternative revenue sources, um, it, it would be mad not to. And, and that will be the thing that really pressures governments to, to do it because there are these huge economies that they don't get to touch. Um, there is a, a growing awareness of, um, you know, one of the things that, one of the figures that Keith gave is that, you know, 55%, I think, of the population think uh, cannabis is better for you than alcohol. And if you get below 30, that goes up to 75 or 80% from memory was what he was saying. And there is a huge change where we're, we're seeing people stay away from alcohol, but seeing, which is on one hand, a very um, natural uh, chemical. And then but going towards cannabis, which is seen as being something that is much better for you. And uh, I, I think it's just a matter of time when you look at all of the pressures 
that are going on here till uh, the, the government has to do something to legalize it. And that's going to really change the um, calculations that people have when, when they consider alcohol. Shep, have you seen how that's playing out in the U S how what's playing out in the U S John, the, the, the relationship <laughs> between the, yeah. Yeah, no. Um, so, I mean, to the, that point that you mentioned, Matt, the, um, uh, Gallup poll, uh, that came out in August of, of this year, uh, found that basically, um, even among drinkers, right. It, it's every year it's somewhere between sort of 63 and 67, 68% of Americans say, yes, I drink at least sometimes. Um, but even a majority of those people think that it has a quote, sort of negative impact on both drinkers and society. Uh, meanwhile, when they ask the same question about cannabis, you get sort of more of an even split where people who have tried it tend to see it as positive and people who haven't tend to see it as negative. Um, but it's more of a 50-50 split where there's a clear majority of American adults who at least when asked say, yeah, 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 this alcohol stuff, this is bad. Um, which is wild to me considering most people do in fact drink at least sometimes. Um, and you know, the, the same Gallup poll also where at 68% of, of American adults think that it, cannabis should be legal. Uh, and that's been that way it's been at 68% for the last like three years or so. Um, and yet at the same time, we're seeing, um, glimmers of some of the problems that legalization is causing. There was a really rough series of stories out of California about what's happening there. Uh, it basically, as, as a lawyer recently explained to me, you know, part of the issue with California is it's been producing cannabis for a lot more places than just California for very many decades, right? <laughs> cannabis that's grown in California has been shipped across the country on the black market for a very long time. Uh, and just because they legalized wasn't going to change that. Um, combine that with the fact that uh, there are lots of municipalities that don't allow the sale of cannabis in, in California, right? Lots of cities and counties that have said, no, we, we won't. I know the state has made this legal, but we won't allow the sale of it here. Um, and so you still have this sort of thriving black market that's causing all sorts of harm. Um, the, and we're also starting to see numbers about, um, it was, it was the national highway and traffic safety, um, association, uh, agency. Yeah. The board. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, well, th they released data last week, um, that, uh, or there was a study that now the, the number of drivers that are involved in, that are either injured or uh, lose their lives in a traffic fatality, the, the percent of them that had cannabis in their systems is now higher than the percent who had alcohol. Um, and the numbers in gen for just for all drugs are, um, higher than they were a few years ago. And that, that keeps sort of going up. And so it complicates the discussion <laughs> is the point that I want to make. Okay. Um, and, and the trouble with that is, and I, Melissa, I completely agree. It should be, I am one of those 68% of people. It absolutely should be legal. Um, because I think, uh, prohibition causes more, more, uh, harm than good net net. Uh, however, the political, dis political discussion is complicated and, I wish I could say that I see a tight timeline on that being able to happen in the U.S., um, but given the way that our politics are and how divided they are, 
the pathway to that, not, not only just sort of passing it in Congress, um, but, but getting a system, a regulatory system sort of erected and lifted up in the US. I mean, ooh, it takes a long time. And so, you know, uh, I think on a consumer level, we're, we're, yes, we're seeing more people uh, try and, and use cannabis and we're seeing more people say, hey, maybe I shouldn't drink as much alcohol um, and and trying a sober or a Cali sober lifestyle, as they call it sometimes. Cali sober, um, yeah, Cali sober. That's <laughs> I don't drink, but I only use cannabis. Um, I, I, yeah, and, and more people are. Oh, making Los those Angeles, decisions. no, never change. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I, I mean, the thing that I'm encouraged about is like I like that people are thinking about these things, right? Like I, I think it's a generally a good thing that people are taking a second to consider their consumption. Um, holy moly. Uh, Weird. <laughs> and, and even if that means that sort of consumption pulls back, heck, we're seeing the global brewers, like the really massive brewers around the world, say, you know what? We want in five to 10 years from now, we want more of our sales to be in no and low alcohol beverages um, than they are right now. We, we want that percentage to be much, much higher than it is right now. Um, yes. Even they're coming around and saying, hey. Chris, um, have you seen any um, stats about the extracts, for example? You know, is it the same? Is it people who smoke cannabis or is it um, CBD and THC as, you know, in, in gummies, for example? Is um I I'm I missed what's the what what about them? <laughs> oh, so, so, what, what were some of those downsides of legalization to do with the um, the, the extracts or was it just the, the, the smoking of cannabis? It's um, the, the downsides related to the extracts and the really high potency products are, okay. um, are being pointed to when it comes to teens and teenagers. Um, and there's been a, just really some mostly anecdotal reporting because, again, part of the problem with studying cannabis in the U.S. is because it's not federally legal, the, the sort of hoops that you have to jump through to get funding to study it um, mm -hmm. are, are sort of extreme. And so that's a, a major part of the problem as far as I'm concerned is that there's just not great science on it, um, which, and good science takes a long time too. The market will always move a lot faster. Um, and so the, uh, the, the high potency products, the, the sort of vapes and dabs and, and sort of oils and, um, it's when teenagers sort of start using that at an early age um, that they're starting to report on some really, really troubling uh, uh, outcomes um, and psychoses and, and dependence um, that really hadn't been, right? We, we generally don't associate cannabis with dependence too much, um, but with these kinds of really, really strong products, uh, it's becoming a bigger part of the conversation. Um, so to, to make a terrible pun, it's all getting a little cloudier uh, to me, the, the pathways. Uh, so, and, and, you know, that only of course makes for more interesting discussions. Yeah. I, th I think the thing is, so, so here's a, here's a thing in the UK, drink driving, for example, is hugely frowned upon, like massively frowned upon. Is, is there a place where, where it's not? Well, you also have public transport that doesn't suck. <laughs> well, in some parts of the UK, I think it's really important to be clear about that. Yeah, um, but but yeah, we we have we have a in general a better a better public transport infrastructure. 
But here's the thing, is this a, and I think I think I might have mentioned this before, I don't know whether it's on, on here or whether it's previous, but over here, one of the things that, that, that I'm always continually agog at is that if you watch, say, for example, however you view it, whether you, whether you view it as copaganda or whether you just view it as, as, as something else, so if you watch nearly any like cop show or procedural or, or anything like that, you see people going into a bar and you see them having a couple of beers and possibly a shot and then getting straight into their cars. And as, as Brits, we're just like, what the hell? And nobody <laughs> ever talks about it. It's like, I mention it to people in the US and, and, and I've, I, I've been stuck in the middle of nowhere on a, on a number of occasions and sort of had no choice but to get into, get into a car with somebody who I know has had way more of the drink beers than they should do. And it's one of those things where you're just going, this is not okay. And the problem is, is that, as you say, because you've got a really sucky public transport infrastructure, you've also got a hell of a lot of geography to traverse. Yeah. It, but I don't see, like, every big sign in the UK, particularly around Christmas, flicks over to a sign saying, do not drink and drive. We have huge campaigns about it, massive campaigns. It gets drummed into us from the minute that we are even approaching driving age. People use, some of the adverts use uh, kids, lots of the adverts use like um, dramatizations of kids being hit by a car and saying, Jesus. you know, if you hit a kid at, at, at this speed, this, this will kill them dead. If you drop your speed by, by five miles per hour, They've got they've got something like a forty percent um, chance to survive. If you are drinking, your time of reaction actually slows by this, and it's actually laid out in a really really strong way. And 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 the same is now happening actually with drug driving as well. And so I think that the that it's really really incredible to me. The and and Carla, I'm, I'd, I'd be great if you could if you could sort of. The mm. message you've just sent, I think that's really, really valuable information. But it, it's absolutely wild to me that, for example, why aren't, why wouldn't the BA be doing something around this? Yeah, you know, I think. It's a really <laughs> part. Well, I think I do. I genuinely think it's a really important part of you know cause and effects. So being really, really honest about the fact that the, the, yes, please enjoy our products, but how about enjoying them responsibly as well? If the government isn't going to do it, then the industry might have to take a little bit of responsibility for it, and that goes for both, both, um, both the both the cannabis industry and the um, and the uh, drinks industry. And you know, we do also have, for example, and that's just raised the question on 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 messengers here. Is that yeah, we do have a, a quite a lot of um, random breath testing here as well, and drug testing. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I was wondering because in Australia we do have those campaigns. But going back to the 1980s, when the government started, you know, having roadside breath testing, and if you're driving, the, the odds are sooner or later you're going to be pulled over and tested for drugs and uh, alcohol. And that seems to have had a big change in people's willingness to do it because you always feel like you're. It, it, it's not a matter of if you have an accident and you'll be tested, there is a chance that just as you're driving, 
you can be tested and the, 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 the fines are quite severe um, and, and the loss of license. And so that seemed to have had a big change on our um, driving culture. It still happens, obviously, but it certainly has put, um, you know, a, a, a dent in it. I think, I think what the um, ads over here have been very good at is actually instead of putting the onus on what will happen to you, it's very much put the onus on what you could do to other people. See, yeah. but that doesn't work in the U.S. because we're selfish a holes. Like, <laughs> if, if you, if you, well, she's not, global, she's not wrong, you know. But I mean, yeah. like, I the global. thing is, that, like, we we can't, we couldn't listen to campaigns that said put a mask on for your grandmother who you're going to kill. So we're not going to listen to the ads about you're going to run over a little child in a neighborhood because we, as Americans, broadly yeah. speaking, uh, think that a nothing bad will ever happen to us because we're special, individual, magical people. And B, that bad things only happen to bad people. So it's a it's a really strange psychological environment. And I completely agree with you. We don't have um, we don't have these large scale campaigns. Um, the biggest anti drunk driving campaigns that happened in the nineties were a third party mothers against drunk driving mad, mad because they were yeah. pissed that there was no uh, you know anti -drug, drunk driving. I think that you're spot on, though, that the industry could do a better job at this. But at the same time, it feels performative or it feels, you know, impotent. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah, by the way, be responsible. Hey, uh, you know, everybody says, please drink responsibly at the end of their ads. That is uh, true. Whether or not it sticks. It uh, does not. It does not. So I think, but it's also combined with, and I promise I'll rein this in, but it, it's no, also no. combined with uh, the fact that law enforcement has shifted in their priorities to becoming more militarized, focusing on crime and murder and all the things that they are telling us that are huge problems that are probably not as big as they say. And they put it towards, they've put all of their budget towards that. They're not preventative, they're reactive. And they've always been reactive. So when someone dies in a, you know, in a drunk driving accident, it's, oh, too bad, what a tragedy, as opposed to what could we have done to prevent that from happening? So the the random breathalyzers are rare and they announce them ahead of time uh <laughs> i'm not kidding no I'm she's not kidding, kidding. they put yeah. up dot like department of transportation billboards that says you know january 1st you know breathalyzer you know testing on route one in in new hampshire and then you go another way <laughs> like it's so <laughs> weird um but i think it's it's a combination of factors but i think it really boils down to we got really focused on drugs in the 90s or anti-drugs, the war on yeah. drugs, all of that. And then we also, that's where, you know, marijuana got lumped into being, you know, a schedule one horrible, horrible thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and we and we have just let alcohol be um, and alcohol abuse be a problem for somebody else. You know, like like I said, bad things happen to bad people and I could never have you know, nothing that I do will ever cause any problem. Mm -hmm. And it's and it's kind of a shame because it's well, it's a big shame. But it's, uh, I think it's so indicative of some of the core problems with American society writ large that it's just, it, it makes so much sense to me as to why we don't do that because it, it aligns with everything else that we do um, in that same way. But but I also think too that I, I have read some stuff about pedestrian fatalities and some of that has to do with the design of automobiles now because mm. everybody wants this military plow down protesters' cars. Um, so the so the like uh, whatever height 
the the like nose height of the cars is like yeah. massive now. So the amount of fatalities in auto accidents, especially concerning pedestrians, has you know skyrocketed in the last five years. And I think that that lack of oversight is something that we really need to look at as well because that's something that they're not doing. I don't know if they're not doing crash testing for that or they're just going, well, it's what the consumer wants and throwing their hands up. I don't know. But our cars have gotten massive and military-like and it's scary. Yeah. Yeah. The, de- yeah. the design issue is is something that is being discussed and it, it's also the design of the roads, um, right? You have lots of roundabouts elsewhere in the world. Um, and that is something that was proven decades ago as reducing uh re- reducing injuries and and crap um that requires the sort of fatality to take turns well it, but right the and the point is the I, as being from new jersey like, i feel attacked and uh and new jersey <laughs> absolutely john the, new jersey is one of the few states that i've driven in where like there are roundabouts all over the place and those yeah. sort of little jug handles when you're going to make a, a left turn and that sort of keeps it a right turn but i mean the point is the angle of impact um and yeah, you're right. You're right, Carla. The pedestrian deaths have have gone up way more. The overall fatality data um, is was was sort of down when it comes to drivers and passengers, but it's bicycle, bicyclists and pedestrians, uh, as well as motorcyclists that have that have gone up a whole lot. Um, drunk driving, by the way, in the U.S. is way, way, way down compared to where it was in the '80s when we were in a crisis. Um, and that's when MAD was formed. That's when the legal drinking age was raised to 21. Um, that's when the, the um, 0.08 uh, as the, the blood alcohol content um, was created nationally through a sort of interesting program based on funding. Um, and, and the industry does sort of spend on this. Like there is a fair number of um, they describe them as large scale, but I think the the point that that you folks have made pretty well is that the the message still doesn't feel like it's large scale. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't sort of feel like it's out there, even though I get tons of press releases um, every sort of October and November from various uh, funding sources, whether it's on the public health side or on the industry side about you know this campaign that we do that we kick off on Thanksgiving and that runs for a month and a half. Um, but yeah, the, the message still doesn't get through, uh, is, is really the point. And, you know, the, the, another part of the problem is how underfunded public health is in the U S uh, and, you know, as someone, not, not that the public health has great solutions for the industry that, that I think makes sense all the time. Um, but I think just generally speaking as American, I, when I look at the, the health system and. And how we're communicating that to Americans? Um, yeah, I have questions. It, not to change gears too much, but I'm wondering because this is something that's being talked about around here, and over time, breweries have taken on uh, various uh, causes, initiatives. They've worked together for it. Is there anything happening right now, Matt, in your country where? There seems to be cohesion among brewers about addressing some sort of larger social issue. Not really. I I, I think you know, it, 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 as Americans, some Americans like to say Australia is a socialist country, so we <laughs> seem to have a fairly. Uh, so is our White House, apparently. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we, we've got 
state-based laws, but they're largely uniform, um, you know, with a few tweaks around. Um, and so everybody uh, is bound by the same laws. Um, but I, I don't really get the feeling that, yeah, that there's any social issues that everyone's jumping in um, to, to, to tackle together. Yeah. Um, at this point last year, we were talking about the the previous eight months or so uh, of the year, uh, seven, seven months of the year, uh, oh, where wait, what? Oh, I'm sorry. No, oh, okay. Talking to my dog. No, oh. I was on mute. <laughs> I've been wondering who you've been talking to every so often. Yeah. <laughs> How's the pup? <laughs> lovely, lovely. She's just uh, bothering me because she wants to go for a walk. But okay. Well, I won't keep you too fine. much longer then. Um, <laughs> that's very, that's very important. But I was saying that at this point a year or so ago, uh, Carla, oh, when, when you were on the show, <laughs> uh, we were talking about how the previous seven months, uh, the conversation in and around the beer space had been what you refer to in, in, in your bio as a, being a vocal advocate for diversity, equity, uh, and inclusion in the beer space. And there is still a lot to be sussed out of we had seen some people get fired for 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 various things we'd seen some some companies hold themselves accountable some not um a, a year or so or, or you know, a year and a half into um this larger conversation coming to light i i know you're paying a lot of attention to it where where do you think things stand today as versus a year ago and then melissa I, i'm going to put the same question to you because i know you've also been vocal and active online about this i mean i want to say that we're like you know making steady progress and that you know things have gotten better but i really feel like the that last two years of pandemic put everybody's i'm going to try to say this in not a mean way optional projects on hold right so like if you didn't have to do something to survive, people stopped doing things. So I feel like the momentum that was there, for example, right before the pandemic in 2020, where we were having really deep conversations about why isn't there representation on, you know, on certain parts of the BA, um, you know, what are we doing to kind of push that farther, had some vocal momentum and think people were going there. Um, I also think, but I think that, you know, we're ramping back up now, especially with, uh, in regards to LGBTQ, um, I've seen a lot more conversations about gay rights as that's become a major political issue. I'm seeing a lot fewer, a uh, lot fewer breweries sitting out, um, you know, those issues going forward. But I think we've still yet to kind of have a good, solid like restart of some of the initiatives that were happening and happening in 2020. Um, I'm eager to see that happen. I'm excited to see that happen. I'm actually getting involved in something that I can't talk about quite yet, but um, that's going to happen towards the beginning of this year. So like I'm seeing that go there, but I'm also seeing that there's, you know, some people saying, oh, there's so much more important things. All these breweries are closing, you know, how can you be telling them that they're doing things wrong when they're just trying to survive? And I think that that, um, that, uh, that kind of feeling is lessening, but at the same time, you know, if this is going to be a, like we were saying earlier, you know, a hard couple quarters, it's going to be, you know, kind of hard to be critical um, when people are just, that's the thing I keep hearing is that we're all just trying to survive, just let us survive. And I'm like, yeah, but you could survive by being more inclusive, like more people could drink your beer if you weren't jerks about it. So, <laughs> so there's a, there's a, um, 
I think there's a uh, willingness still. There's discussions that are being had, which is great. And even, you know, what we were talking about earlier, the fact that we're willing to have discussions about where does it non-alcoholic beer fit? Where does, um, you know, a brewery's place in their community fit? Are they getting involved in political things or not? Um, are, you know, conversations that are important and ongoing. Um, so I'm encouraged by that. You know, I wish we were further along than we were, you know, every year that I've talked about this. Um, but, uh, but, uh, I, I think I will always feel like that. Yeah. I think, I think the point when somebody says, oh, they're just trying to survive. It's like, well, funnily enough, so are a lot of the people that we're talking about that have been permanently marginalized by the beer industry exactly. and they've been trying to survive for a hell of a lot longer. Yep. Um, and uh, I think the, one of the things that, that is really just, it's one of those ones where I'm just bashing my head against the desk is that. I, what one of the things that I've really noticed is uh, that that kind of collab circle jerk amongst white guys as in the industry has really come back with a vengeance. Uh, there's no the, all of the willingness to reach out and help smaller breweries uh, uh, are run by people who are up, underrepresented in in the craft beer space has just disappeared. And I'm sorry, but I just don't believe you. I don't believe that, that those beers wouldn't sell out as quickly in the same way as they were, were two years ago. It's just because that you've decided that this is your comfort zone and you're going to go back to it. And I it just, it, it's incredibly frustrating. And then, of course, you see things like people who are like have literally got their own staff talking out about the fact that they've come back into the breweries after being after being very publicly vilified and and um, and also just very very publicly exposed for being not nice people, um, and and you just think, well, hang on a minute, and then you see people who are the breweries that are vocal about you know supporting people, supporting LGBTQ plus, supporting supporting people of colour, and and supporting women in the industry, and then they'll go to their beer festivals or they'll do a collab with them. And it's just like, oh, come on, you absolute hypocrites. It just isn't good enough. You know, just don't, don't say things with one hand and then go and do, go and do the exact opposite because it's going to help your bottom line. It, it's just intensely frustrating. And it just, it just demeans the whole process as well. And it makes people who have said, oh, it's great that these people are doing these, these breweries are doing this. I mean, I don't know about you, Connor. I've seen, I've had this happen a couple of times. It's like, well, that makes me feel like an idiot. And you just, and it makes, it makes me lose a bit of momentum. It makes me lose a bit of a step as well. And it, it's, and I know that it happens to other people. I mean, I, towards the end of the pandemic and coming out the other side, I just run out of steam. I just run out of steam. A lot of it was not being able to have my tribe around me. Um, mm -hmm. actually not physically seeing people and being able to just, you know, sit down over a couple of beers and just go, ah, uh, particularly my female friends in the, in the industry. Um, but it just, it just feels like that on, there isn't enough accountability for bad people doing bad things. And, it just feels like we're constantly excusing it, whether it's an economic crisis or whether it's just a, oh, we don't really do political. And so just by your very existence, you are political because you are part of the patriarchal problem that is the beer community. Come on. You know, it's it, it, it just is, it, it's just exhausting bullshit. And you have to, you know, 
pull on your big girl pants every single day and just go, right, today's another day. What can we do to keep chipping away at this? And it, yeah, we, I know there's loads and loads of allies out there, and I know there's loads of allies who who feel as bad about this, particularly the way that, that women are treated in the industry. But it is just like, so, oh, what now? Who's done what now? Oh, God. And it just feels like there's just not enough of a of a real, when I say sort of global, I mean industry global, willingness to do something about it. Anyway. No, I'm I'm giving you the last word on that one. I'm not, yeah, it's God's, for God's sake, just do something, just do something, just pick one thing and stick at it. Even if it's just twice a year, you commit to brewing with a smaller brand who may not necessarily do anything for your sales amongst those beer bros. But do you know what? How about just making the entire industry a better place than you left it just by doing one or two collaborations or hosting one or two breweries to do an event in your venue or in your brew tab or hosting a guest tab or whatever you can do. Just do something. Pick something. Do it. Do it well. Do it with commitment. Don't fanny about. Agree. Okay. Wholeheartedly agree. Finished off on a nice Britishism there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I had been trying to think of a fun question to, uh, to end this show on. And, uh, you might've just hit on it, Melissa of, um, obviously there's the hard work to do and, you know, pick the one thing and focus on it. What is a fun thing in beer or around beer that you would like to see people focus on in the new year? while they're doing the hard work i'm not d- diminishing anything that you just said but like you know it is fun when we can all get together and we can all shoot the shit and we can all um have a a a, a relatively good time and, and beer at its core you know is still about socialization and, and and fun and doing it obviously the right way um i i can't underscore that enough but if um if we were getting together and doing you know, stupid shit like we usually do. Um, what's a what's a fun thing that you want people to try to focus on in the new year? I really love seeing people introduce the behind the scenes normally people who are actually doing the hard work as opposed to the, you know, the the founder who goes and sprinkles a few hops in a in a in a in a kettle just to just for a photo opportunity whilst everybody else runs around in the background. I like to I really, really like to see on particularly on socials because it's got such a great reach. I love to see the person who's doing the QC in the in the in the lab being being humanized. And I love it when when somebody really gets it right on their on their socials. And um, uh, TikTok's brilliant for that. Instagram's really good for that. Those sorts of things where you just say Hey, just doing this little thing and and all that kind of stuff, and and you see somebody say, oh, and it's you know everybody's brought their dog to work today. This is amazing. <laughs> Actually, making sure that it's not just uh, the creation of the rock star brewer really needs to stop, and and just focusing on it mostly because it in, inevitably is a white dude, um, and actually showing people the reality of how many people it takes. Or you know how much of a village it takes to raise a beer, 
I think it's a really important thing. And I think it really also is actually a bit of a public service at the same time, because people seem to think that, that you know, you just you just have to have a cool personality and you just make these amazing beers and then you go out there and you get to travel the world. It's like you can't do that without a huge team behind you. It just doesn't happen. So I'd really like to see more of more of that fun aspect of of normalizing the fact that a brewery isn't about just one person. Chip, well, what about that, you? Oh, well, so- no, yeah. sorry. I just love that because I love hearing those stories too. And I'm, you know, kind of sick of that state sage on the stage, uh, sage on the stage narrative. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I want to hear more stories, different stories than that. Than yeah. the, I was a lawyer and I gave it up because it wasn't fun. And then I started a brewery. Ta-da. Like <laughs> I, I've, I've heard that a hundred times and I don't ever want to hear it again. <laughs> Is that is that also your one thing? Carla? No, my, or do you my ha- one yeah, thing, what's your one thing? My one thing was going to be to also just start to understand the other businesses that support the brewing industry. So things like malt producers or hop growers or the people who are making the packaging, basically the kind of understanding the larger ecosystem that is beer, um, you know, partially, you know, full disclosure, my husband works at a malt producer now. So just kind of really interesting, um, a malt processor rather. And it's just, it's fascinating to me because they have all, they all have stories and problems and, you know, uh, you know, challenges and, and successes. And they're very excited about certain things that uh, it's just a part where you go, oh yeah, well, it's just an ingredient, but it's like to them, that's the whole story, you know, that they're, you know, they're kind of seeing that through but I think that there's a lot of businesses in general, you know, even beyond the the ingredients that are kind of in that beer ecosystem that, again, don't get talked about a lot. And I would love to hear kind of um, just more of those stories, but in general, also just get a better understanding of how, um, you know, how ingredients come together. Where are they coming from? Are these local producers that were doing pilot projects five years ago, are they, are they you know, big enough that they're being used in beer now, you know, because we have we heard a lot of like tiny startups doing hop farms, you know, how where are they now? Like, there's a lot more um, domestic hop and malt production than there was in the last, you know, 10, 15 years. Um, it's pretty exciting to me that we're doing a lot more to shorten that supply chain. And that the quality of what's being produced is good enough to go into commercial beer. So it's just it's been an interesting um just kind of side project area for me because I like learning more about what actually goes into that other than uh, the the guy, you know, sprinkling some hops into a vat as he walks by kind of uh, process. I, I think that there's a lot to it before, you know, that that kettle's even turned on. So I just think that that's a neat, a, a neat positive thing that I'd love to hear more stories about and see more uh, attention and love paid to. Chip, what's your one thing? Dragon breweries. What? <laughs> I want to. I want to see more dragon breweries, and it's happening. And I oh, see these stories. Drag in drag, breweries. Drag in breweries. Oh my god! Okay. Oh, I I um, so thought you said dragon breweries. I'm sure. I'm still unsure of what you said. What, Actually, what? I'm okay with both of those things. Wait, so, spell the first word for me. Drag, drag. Oh. Drag, drag as in. in drag queens, drag queens, drag kings. Okay. Um, uh, uh, all, all of those things. And but it, you it said drag happen. in. Drag in. I want to see okay. drag happening. Okay. Now I understand it. Now breweries. I understand. Okay. 
I also would love dragon brews because I, <laughs> since I was a child, I've had a, an affinity for dragons, but I feel like there are a bunch of those, um, I, or at least, you know, breweries that lean on dragons for branding. Um, and, and it's funny because this answer popped into my brain. I was like, oh, that's a very difficult question, John. How am I going to answer this? And it, it just sort of jumped into my brain that I, I saw a little bit of drag. Uh, performance at brewer, at a brewery uh, or breweries this year. Um, and I decided, yes, I, I would like to see more of that, please. Um, but then I asked myself, like, why, Chris? Like, where did this answer come from? Um, and, and it occurred to me that it's because I, I realized really quickly when it was happening that this was an expression of, um, of community, of connection between people who worked at that brewery um, and their network of people outside of that brewery, right? It was it was bringing in people, it was bringing in friends uh, and colleagues uh, who they know from working outside the brewery into that brewery space. Um, and that is really the thing that I want to see more of. It doesn't have to be drag performance per se, um, but when I see breweries bringing in people from their communities that that helps reveal to me that the people who work in that brewery, who run that brewery, who work in the tap room, who brew the beer, have sort of full complex lives outside of the beer. That gets me excited about that space um, and, and about visiting that space and sort of getting to know those people in a more full and complete way. And so that's the thing that I think I want to see more of next year. Matt. Are you still awake? Are you still with us? I did, mate, mate, absolutely. Uh, and I'm loving uh, the, the, this discussion. And uh, I, I, I want to say something um, because last year when we recorded it, and I went back and listened to the to, to this episode from last year. Oh God, really? The, yeah. And go back and listen to it. It was a it was a wonderful chat. And I don't listen really to it the first time. Last. That's yeah. <laughs> Oh, I'm glad we're here, John. Well, <laughs> I almost what, what are you even saying, Melissa? You weren't even here last year. True. I had COVID, though. I did have a good excuse. <laughs> but Sorry, I, I never go back and I know, but I, I never go back and listen. But given this is a once a year thing, I was I was really interested in what our predictions were, and and also I didn't want to unconsciously repeat myself. Um, sure. But so what I've done is consciously repeated myself. It turns out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but last year you asked us of the, the the green door question if we could right. go through the green door and um and I, I I'd forgotten all of this but I'd said uh you know I, beer is about context and place and you travel for beer and if I could go anywhere I would be sitting in a German beer garden in late September as the sun sets having a Munich Hells and late September this year I was in Munich drinking a beer and so I'm hoping whatever I say now is going to come true as well um, <laughs> so it was it was quite wonderful but look we, we live in a time when alcohol has been increasingly demonized for a whole lot of you know real reasons um that you know mindful drinking has been forgotten in the way of you know so some of the terrible things of alcohol but i think all of that conversation forgets that to some extent we are hardwired for for the feeling that we have with alcohol and the the benefits that you know moderate amounts of consumption can have not just to us but in terms of connection and community and um, you know there, there are some wonderful papers written about you know like Dunbar's number Professor Dunbar who talks about the reason societies were able to form 
beyond that number of people that you directly knew was because alcohol and you know builds sense of trust and brings people that don't necessarily know together because of that trust and you know this year it's not something that the industry can ever actually campaign on or anything but as an industry i think if we can enjoy beer the way that it's meant to be enjoyed in a way that brings people together and you share um you know small honest connected moments with other people um you know that's i i think the reason that we love beer in the first place because it, it has that capacity and it, it can speak about this industry that we love in the most positive ways um by having that you know moderate um sharing of a wonderful product that brings people together i love that yeah i so would love I would love to see. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I think it's one of my favorite phrases. Is uh, I, I, it's a social lubricant. It just yeah. helps everybody rub along a little easier. And and to that, I I I would just love to be able to focus on like the fun of being together, and yeah. that often means good seating, like proper seating, uh, proper lighting in places, and um, music at a level where conversation can flow where you don't have to shout over each other and i realize and acoustic that is me venues, john yeah because <laughs> so, so, breweries have been built in these in warehouses and industrial spaces and, and which is great it's got a great aesthetic but every now and then you walk into a venue and think actually i can have a conversation at a normal pace without straining um yeah. and there there are just some venues that have really looked at that you know acoustic baffling so you can do that mm. Yeah. And it's not just us, the, you know, working towards middle age folks. It's uh, uh, Gen Z wants this too. So um, pay attention um, breweries. Hey, this was fun doing this with, with you all again, and I hope we can do it again next year, but, um, and drink celebration. We will, if the, if, if, if the shipping costs aren't too high and the taxes aren't too high, Melissa, I will do my best to get you fresh, celebration so that you can drink it during this show that's your so I, I will hope to see you in between in, instead that would be much nicer uh yes uh like i say i have this this now partial case uh half case in my uh in my in my beer fridge here so it's um it's marked with your name on it <laughs> and um every time i i see you i'm gonna try to bring you one so we'll see how long we can keep that going awesome. uh melissa thank you for being here matt thank you for being here Shep, thanks for being here. And Carla, thank you for being here this week and for continuing on this this fun tradition on the show. Thank you. Thank you, John. John. Merry Christmas, guys. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Cheers. Do you have a beer resolution for the new year? Let me know by emailing John Hall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at allaboutbeer.com. You can share along on Twitter at John underscore Hall. All About Beer is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just follow along at All About Beer. And of course, This Week in Rauk Beer is also online. You can search Facebook for the group. It's pretty easy. And on Twitter and Instagram, we're at TW Rauk Beer. We are able to bring you this show each week thanks to the companies that want to support independent journalism in the beer space. If you would like to learn more about our surprisingly affordable rates, please reach out to info at allaboutbeer.com. Speaking of that, this episode is brought to you by Pro Brewer. 
We're bringing original articles to probrewer.com twice a week, covering issues important to the beer industry and aimed at helping breweries of all sizes understand different facets of the business. You can check out our articles on probrewer.com every Tuesday and Thursday, and you can visit the site daily for other original content and to stay connected with the beer industry. Finally, All About Beer has a podcast channel now. You can search and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Still, This Beer has new episodes every Monday, and the BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. And don't forget to go visit allaboutbeer.com. As for this show, Mitch Weber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer.